listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Skylit, the Skylight Books podcast. I'm your host, Steph Karp. Skylight Books is an independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. We're open for in-store browsing and curbside pickup, and you can always shop at our store online at skylightbooks.com. Just check out our website to stay up to date with our current in-store shopping policies. Today, I'm excited to welcome August McLaughlin and Jamila Dawson to read from and discuss their new book, With Pleasure, Managing Trauma Triggers for More Vibrant Sex and Relationships. August McLaughlin is a nationally recognized health and sexuality writer, trauma-informed certified sex educator, and host and producer of the podcast Girl Boner Radio. Her articles have been featured by Cosmopolitan, The Washington Post, Salon, HuffPost, Livestrong.com, and more. She is the author of Girl Boner, The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment, featured in the New York Times, Health and Shape. She is presented at colleges, recovery centers, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention headquarters in Atlanta. Jamila Dawson is an LMFT licensed sex and relationship therapist, writer, and educator. She runs her private psychotherapy and consulting business, Fire and Flow, Fire and Flow Therapy, and teaches as adjunct faculty at Antioch University, Los Angeles. She has lectured at the University of Southern California and AASECT Summer Institute and collaborated with a variety of sex therapists and educators, as well as BuzzFeed, Playboy, Harper's Bazaar, and other media outlets. She presents locally and nationally on sexuality, empowerment, BDSM and kink, pleasure, relationships, and trauma-informed and healing-focused psychotherapy. Welcome, Jamila and August. I'm so happy to have you both. Hi. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Oh my goodness. Well, Jamila, I know we had, um, you had some pages prepared for us. Would you read for us from the book? Absolutely. Um, this is from the kind of beginning of our book, um, where I'm kind of introducing myself, talking about why sex therapy. People often ask me why I'm a sex therapist. I think they're confused because maybe they assume sex is simple. And so why would there need to be therapy for it? Other people seem titillated, perhaps thinking that I listen to salacious details of people's sex lives. Often, there is a sense from them that what I do is either dirty, beneath me, after all, what kind of person are you to talk about sex all the time, or would inevitably become boring? How much can you actually talk about sex day after day? What is there to say? And all of this simply confirms that there's lots of work to do. My journey with trauma and pleasure as resilience is both personal and professional. I developed an expertise around it out of a need to survive my own trauma, but I teach about sexuality and relationships out of a desire to help build a society in which we can transcend trauma. But why sex therapy? 
Sex therapy is a powerful and intimate and exhilarating work. In my private practice, clients come from a variety of backgrounds, ethnicities, sexual orientations, genders, gender presentations, relationship styles, and experiences. But I've come to see that each of them feels deeply unseen and unheard. Part of my work is to help see and listen to their hidden selves. As a therapist, there is the power to protect, cultivate, influence, to discuss frightening ideas, to confront memories, put words to the unspeakable, and help people experience the reality that they are not alone and that they are here to create a life of vibrancy, pleasure, and connection. Erotic feeling, which is our innate sense of aliveness, is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. It fuels creativity, pleasure, and innovation. But when it is misunderstood, shamed, and forced to show up in a distorted form, it can also be used to harm, control, and damage others and the self. Many of us have never known sexual expression, erotic expression as a positive force, or maybe we have only glimpsed it, but not known it or enjoyed it as an ongoing generative way of life. Too many of us have grown up living through trauma and finding ways to hide from its effects. Often this means attempts to escape, disconnect, punish, or control our bodies. I don't want people to feel afraid or ashamed of themselves. I don't want people to put themselves, their emotions, their sensuality, or their capacity for feeling or for pleasure into a cage. I want people to learn to trust their bodies, for you to learn to trust your body, and that your body wants you to survive, and that ultimately we're made to thrive in connection with ourselves and others. When I first began my private practice, I knew that traumatic experiences were prevalent. At the time, newly out of school, I thought I was prepared to help my clients get better. In the clinical world, we often talk about symptom reduction as the focus of treatment. The goal is for people to no longer be bothered by insomnia, disordered eating, a chronic sense of unease, deep sadness, irritability, rage, fatigue, flashbacks, compulsive behaviors, passive or active suicidal ideation, and the host of other indicators of PTSD, depression, anxiety, or other disorders. But as I worked with my clients to reduce their symptoms, making safety plans, listening to how they struggle to cope week after week, I could hear their shame, frustration, anger, exhaustion, despair, and underneath all of that, the deep fear that they would always struggle with getting their bodies and minds to act right and be normal. I saw that they feared they would always feel alien in their own bodies, that their body was and would remain a site of distrust, and that an iron grip of control over their lives was the best they could hope for. It began to weigh on me that I was sitting with people's pain, but neither they nor I had a vision of what could be, something that went beyond mere survival. The absence of symptoms is not a life. My clients and I deserved better. We needed a paradigm that made room both for what is and for what can be. It also took me a while to understand the fragility of the therapy room when measured against the larger culture. In this culture, we have been taught either to deny that our pain exists at all, or that we can get rid of it through sheer willpower, positive thinking, or some other quick fix that, that's within our control. 
Although some elements in our lives can be shifted that way, in the aftermath of acute trauma or the continual onslaught of trauma-inducing circumstances that many of us live in, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, the cold ghosts of trauma are not so easily exercised. In the precious clinical hour that I have with my clients, we work to create space to grieve, to explore, to put words to the unspeakable and to create new possibilities. But when my clients leave the office, those tender new understandings are swiftly buffeted by the harshness of so many aspects of life here in this world at this time in history. Therapy is one type of change work among others. It is simultaneously a particular kind of process and a particular kind of relationship. And at its best, therapy concerns itself with the growth and healing of individuals and partners. And though this kind of change work can be a profound experience for the clinician and their clients, the stark truth is that it is not enough or fast enough. We cannot forget that we are individuals within a larger group of humanity and that there is a critical immediacy to our societal and global challenges more so now than ever before. A somatic or mind-body-informed and trauma-informed approach needs to become foundational to how we engage with our partners, families, schools, businesses, and government. I've come to realize that I must expand my focus and help create larger cultural change so that there is a healthier world for my clients to re-enter after our sessions. With pleasure is one more part of a larger movement to understand and reduce trauma while creating a foundation of pleasure and wellness for more people, including you. When August approached me to co-write this with her, I was thrilled because here's a way to share and connect with others beyond my clinical practice. My hope in creating this book with August is to provide tools for individual support, as well as to help push the culture further one more rivulet in a stream that leads each of us to the knowledge that practices of pleasure can and will reshape our lives, contributing to many new and luscious futures. <laughs> that was so beautiful, Jamila. That was the first reading we have had of this book. And it That's was true. a gift to me to hear you read it. How did it feel to share that? <sighs> Strange and wonderful there's this kind of um, distance of, you know, this is a book and so it's away from me. And so reading it, there was kind of this, oh, I do this, I recognize this, I believe this, whoever wrote this, I totally agree with that. <laughs> so, so it's this very strange recognition and it, it felt good to say some of those words like out loud and like yeah. in my body. Yeah, I was imagining folks reading them, you know, hearing, quote unquote, hearing your, your writer's voice. I, I love that that is um, near the very beginning of the book. Uh, so the book was originally called Triggered and right. the name got used by someone, a very unfortunate um, happening. Uh, Son of who who must not be named. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's what we will use. And um it turned out to be a wonderful change once we came up with this new title with pleasure. Um, but the word triggered itself, it's so interesting to me how people perceive it in different ways. It's been co-opted by different populations. Mm -hmm. What is, what is like one of the biggest myths about being triggered or that word that gets to you? I think the, the watered down 
um, that it's been watered down and then used to kind of mock or dismiss people's pain. Um, I'll see it sometimes where people um, will basically say, you know, it's, oh, you're being triggered and like, that's ridiculous. Like this, uh, this movie or this experience shouldn't trigger you. Stop being so sensitive. Um, and, or people will say um, conversely, oh, like I feel so triggered right now. And I'm like, no, if you were truly triggered, you would be in a particular physiological state in which you're not able to, to kind of be sarcastic and just joke it off. Um, it is a very particular situation where the body is in four, one of four different states, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And it's terrifying. It's the body desperately trying to um, rally and get from the net, from one feeling very scared and trying to figure out how to get to the next moment. So it's not being annoyed or uncomfortable or pissed off. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And it's so validating. I think when you understand that there is a physiological thing happening, mm -hmm. which is why one of our early chapters is what is happening to me, because we want folks to know the basics of what's happening, you know, and we tell them that they can use whatever language they prefer. Right. They don't have to use the word triggered. Um, you know, so I'm a big fan of people using the language that really kind of captures what they're feeling. So for some people, it can feel like a, um, a storm and for other people, it feels like a tsunami, you know, so finding a language that feels right for you. Um, but yeah, because a lot of times people feel like they're quote unquote crazy. You know, they don't understand. And I think that was a big piece in us wanting to write this book of you're not crazy. Something is actually happening um, that's impacting you and the people around you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we organized the book with questions that folks tend to grapple with when they are yes. on this journey. Yeah, is there one that stands out to you as one that you, oh. I mean, they all, I'm sure resonate in different ways. <laughs> they do. And I, I loved, like, you were the one who um, had that idea of having the chapters um, with these different questions, you know, because sometimes being a clinician, um, I can be like, let's have a very kind of more academic or clinical tone of like PTSD triggers, what you should know. And fine, that's fine. But I th your your brilliance of understanding what people are going to be looking for are these kinds of phrases that we say to ourselves or people have said to us. So I love how that was organized. Um, and each one, it's painful because what I did, I recognized them. I was like, yeah. my God, this is what my clients say. Yeah. Like, yeah. what is happening to me? Um, I think also the the chapter to, to actually answer your question was. Um, which one is it? I am such a problem and healing has taken too long. Those are the two. I am such a problem is personally that one hits me so hard because I grappled with that so much mm -hmm. because of what you said, like you think that you're quote unquote crazy. Mm -hmm. And when you think you are the problem, you don't seek support because you don't, I mean, how do you fix a whole person? Like, right. it's not, right. oh, you, you have, you know, you sprained your ankle, you need support. Mm -hmm. You are going through trauma, you are managing trauma, you need support, you know, trying to separate it from the person in a way that's not, you are not quote unquote broken. 
Right, right. And in this culture, we still very much um, focus on kind of external and physical things. You know, if you have a broken foot, you'll definitely get more, um, you know, comfort and care. Although there still are going to be people of like, well, aren't you done healing yet? Like, don't, don't you like, are you doing all the things to make sure you're, you're completely trying to get healed? Um, so not everybody is always. Have you tried yoga? Have you had this herb? Have you? <laughs> yeah, we've had so many conversations and with Kara, our editor too, about the messaging that just riles us up in mm -hmm. the supposed self-help genre or industry um, that just feels very self-defeating in, in so many ways. And it's mm -hmm. harmful to people to, right. to ask, well, shouldn't you just be over that? You right. Know, are you doing everything? Right. Yeah. So, and it's really like in this day and age, like we're busy, we're in the middle of a pandemic where like we've got our past stuff, we're dealing with bills and cars and things and children and pets and all this stuff. And so it's not trying to heal cannot be um, a full-time job. And so it has to be woven into our lives. Um, so really, I think we really wanted to like, this is something to weave in. You weave in pleasure and you weave in like taking care of yourself. Yeah. I remember pretty early on, we were talking about how we wanted people to be able to jump to a section that yeah. we didn't, we didn't want to have this expectation that there kind of is this unspoken expectation or pressure to read an entire book from start to finish. Be a good little reader. Yes. Yes. And I remember when you said something like, you know, this idea that we need to finish every book needs to go. And I felt just relief as a, as an author. I love books. Like and I needed to hear that. Oh my God. Just, I remember when I said that out loud, I was like, the book police are going to find me. Like, it's like, I think it's one of the, like, the things that you're never really supposed to, to say, but I remember the first book, I won't say what it was, um, but it was like considered kind of a, a classic of the genre and I hated it. And I, and I literally, I actually threw it across the room. Like, I was like, I'm not reading. It was the first time that I like threw it across the room. I was like, I'm not finishing that book and the freedom <laughs> and the fear and so i as you said we i think the intention was this is a companion it's always going to be here dip in and dip out and particularly what we both know about trauma is um you cannot binge healing you cannot stuff yourself with all the stuff and then finally like okay i took it all now i'm fine it literally has to be a process, savor it, take breaks. And so we really did. I love that we did design it of, you may never finish quote unquote this book and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And our executive function, our decision-making and, and all the kind of parts of our brain that would be very organized mm -hmm. is not very organized or functioning very strongly when we are triggered. Right. And so if someone picks up the book and they, they feel that, that, mm -hmm. that would feel very devastating to me. So I'm, I'm, so I'm glad that, um, I hope that that's the, the vibe that people get from it, that they can hop around. And because I also think different sections and topics, they affect you differently and you need different kinds of support at different times. You might be struggling Absolutely. one thought 
for a while, or we also have these grounding exercises throughout, uh-huh. uh, which <laughs> we really wanted to make simple mm-hmm. because we had this conversation about how complicated some of them are. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> we kind of, um, it's not always nice to, for clinicians to laugh at other clinical processes, but we do. We can be quite a petty bunch. I'm just going to say it. And so <laughs> there's um, a particular grounding practice that can be useful, but it also is somebody, depending on the person, if they're um, really in the depths of being triggered, it's just not an accessible exercise. Um, and so we really wanted to find, like, what is something simple? You know, it's like something as simple as, you know, kind of the, um, the somatic you know, example of like grabbing a teddy bear, like what is like a simple exercise you can do, such as like, look around the room slowly and see what can you find that has blue? Simple. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Don't, you don't necessarily have to count things, but just try to find like what's blue or what can you hear right now? Focus on one sensation um, and just try to like, that's that becomes the world. And that can kind of help somebody shift out of um, that triggered state. That's been helpful to me through this process too, just that idea, because I have some of those really lengthy grounding exercises on sheets of paper. Like my therapist, my most recent therapist gave me a list of them. And one of them, I couldn't for the life of me remember it. And then even when I looked at the page, I was like, I kept needing my cheat sheet and I'm like, this isn't really relaxing. It's nice. To- right, Cause then it's like, oh, I'm messing up my like exercise to try to like. Yes, yes, yes. And then we have writing exercises and I love that because I find writing, whether people journal on paper or verbally mm-hmm. or color, uh, there's something about that free mind flow and getting something out of you that I think can be so soothing. Absolutely. I really, um, and this is kind of shifting into a slightly different direction. This book, I love that we wrote it. And it was very hard because it was a matter of, oh, am I doing these practices as well? Like these, like it became of, um, at first it was for me at least, uh, am I doing these practices? Like, am I saying and doing what I tell people to say and do? And then when the pandemic really hit, um, it became kind of a lifeline of, I need to do these practices and thank goodness they're getting out and we're writing them and talking about them because I absolutely need this for myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me as well. And the focus on pleasure. I love that it's in the title. Uh, It came from your signature, which I think it's lovely. You often sign emails with, with pleasure. And I remember when we were searching for a new title and you mentioned that, and I got chills because I thought, oh, that's it. Like that pleasure, we put it at the forefront as something that will be with us in this journey. Mm-hmm. And to me, that feels really missing. I, I haven't heard a lot about it. Um, no. Besides when I first spoke to you, I, I, I interviewed you and you were speaking about that topic. And that's when I knew I wanted to, to work with you because I think it's such a crucial missing piece. I mean, it's life affirming like that's, and I, and I say that as a 
always as a reminder to myself, which is why I made it my email signature of, and when I talk about pleasure, it's not just, um, oh, this feels good. You know, like, I mean, chocolate, amazing, cheesecake, amazing, like all of the, like just so many good pleasurable things in the world. But there's also the pleasure of um, doing something that's difficult. You know, there is something that's so like when you've had a, a tough conversation and you arrive at the end of it and you know yourself better and the other person better, you know, or like um, I do this really fun like workout, um, this virtual workout thing. And, you know, and the people are super like, you can do it just a little bit more. Don't hurt yourself, but like stretch if you can. And that's a pleasure in extending my muscles just a little bit more and breathing a little more deeply. And, you know, the same with world changing work, you know, like if you're a, an organizer, it is so exhausting to continually see what's, um, what's so desperately wrong. And it can make you feel very um, cynical about humanity. And I think if we don't practice pleasure, then we, we literally will not know what we're fighting for. Our bodies will not recognize what we're fighting for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot through this whole this whole journey. And it feels surreal mm. that, that we have a book. I know, a book baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, oh, because I do remember times where I was like, how are we going to do this? Like, how? Oh. It, Can I just it, say, yeah. you were such a great writing partner. Like, I just, it's, folks, write books with other people. That's all I can say. What? <laughs> and there was, and this too was, was something that I discovered with you, August, was, again, we live in this kind of, um, you know, expert culture. You want to be like the expert in your field, the one, the name. And this was such a cool way to push back on that of this could only have happened with us collaborating. And it was an amazing experience for, um, like I have sculpted my career. It's been very hard, very rewarding, very scary and isolating. Um, and it's mine, it's Jamila Dawson. And to put that in connection with somebody else and to trust somebody else with a project like this, that was scary and healing and wonderful. Mm -hmm. and yeah, it, it felt to me, I think once you use the word alchemy, talking about the ways that, yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Um, yeah, but how we, I didn't know how this would be. I've never co-written anything with anybody, not a blog post, not a book, not an article. And so it was- <laughs> Not a tweet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not even, not even a sentence. And it felt, uh, but there was this, there was this certainty in my body. I just, mm. I just knew that this was something for us to, to create together if you were so willing and I would have accepted it. If you said no, I would have been sad and I would have felt it and then I would have accepted it. But, um, but yeah, I do feel very fortunate that there, there has been this flow mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and somehow it just, we just didn't know how it was going to be. It just was like throwing spaghetti up in the air and like, is this going to work? And right. Yeah. Right. And that process of, um, you know, like I said, in the, um, the excerpt, like I'm a sex therapist. And so people mostly come to me of like, we're having issues with sex. And 
a lot of the trouble comes because of the paradigms of what sex, they think sex is supposed to be, how it's supposed to go, what we've been told is real sex. And um, a lot of my work is really kind of offering people a different paradigm. And so uh, with you, it was really nice to like, we don't have to have something set. It wasn't, you know, as I, I say with my clients, like they just do the Bermuda Triangle. It was just like, hit the top parts and the bottom parts and like, just do that over and over again. And, and it's like, no, great sex is layers and exploration and making space for what's happening moment to moment. And we did our own version of that. I would say mm. like an erotic experience versus a sexual one. And the, the eroticism was for me in, I need help some days or like, how is this gonna work? And so we had fallen on, you know, to um, meeting once a week and sometimes recording our conversations. And so we made this erotic experience work for us. Mm. And that was yeah. just rad. Cause yeah. I'm from the valley, so rad. <laughs> I also love that word. Yeah, totally, totally rad. And speaking of alchemy and radness, our interviewees who we call survivors, of course, they are so much more throughout the mm. book. Um, it feels, I don't know, sacred to me that we get to share their stories and their voices. Yeah. I think of everything is probably the thing I'm most proud of is folks like the, the people whose stories are in this book are, um, they're extraordinary because they're people, like people figuring it out, people who had stuff happen to them or who are dealing with stuff that they didn't deserve. Like they're just people. And the fact that they, um, you know, we just put out a call, we posted it, I want to say on Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so these are all people who self-selected um, to share. And it was with just such generosity and courage. Um, I love every single story in the, our book. Like these people are just, yeah, that's, that's the piece I think I, I just glow when I think about You actually the... are literally glowing right now, speaking about them, <laughs> which is, which is lovely. And I, I share that sentiment for sure. They were what so was generous. It like? like, I guess in some ways for me, the, my question for you, like, what was it like? Cause you handled the interviews. Yeah. I was doing my thing and writing some of the pieces, but you handled all the interview process. What was that like for you? Mm. Speaking of something being challenging and pleasurable, it was that, <laughs> mm. um, yeah, I, it, it forced me to, for one, take care of myself with your prompting <laughs> because I had been thinking so much about how do I create this safe space where people can share and also know that they can step back mm -hmm. and I don't want to push anyone making sure that they were comfortable, um, I remember one person who had volunteered, I happened to physically match a lot of the things that trigger them. Mm -hmm. You know, there were, there were things that came up that were unique challenges that I really, I was thinking about those things. Mm -hmm. And I remember you asking me, you know, are you, how are you, like, how are you doing with this? Um, because it, you know, it's heavy. Yeah. We would sometimes have really long conversations. Uh, and I always walked away feeling like a little bit of a better person, you know, that mm. I, 
my heart opened uh, with each of them. They all taught me something and continue mm-hmm. to teach me something. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, and I felt very grateful and I still, I still do. I think it's, it, it does take courage. It does take courage to, to share and to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I noticed is that pretty much everyone had this, this strong desire to impact someone in a positive way. They learned mm-hmm. something and they had, they wished that they had learned it sooner and they yeah. wanted someone else to benefit. And so there was this beautiful giving nature about everyone and their experiences mm-hmm. were all completely different. Right. I mean, the, the variety of experiences and how they dealt with it and how they perceive themselves in their each individual life. Like there's, I think the word diversity is overused um, and it's also become kind of a, a code word, um, which I wish people would start rereading George Orwell's essay on language and politics. Like, please read that folks. <laughs> and so of how language can obscure things, but there was a true variety and diversity of experience and, um, and different kinds of what they were struggling with. But as you said, this really gorgeous, like, I want to share this, like, if somebody else can benefit, if somebody else can, like, learn something, if somebody else can just know that they're not alone. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Each of these people had been through um, profound isolation. And here was one more way of showing, like, you're not alone. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. But I was really glad you handled the interviews. <laughs> It's like you're amazing and organized. I I love interviewing. What I don't love is scheduling and having appointments. So that was hard because I was, Uh I was working Uh probably 50 to 60 hours a week for the first couple of months that we. Right. Because there are other pieces happening, like other projects you're working on and like. Yeah. Yeah. I had just gazillions of deadlines and just, and it's hard for me to break my creative flow to go Mm -hmm. into those spaces. And yet there's something really powerful about realizing how much I needed to connect with people. (laughs) Go figure. Um, (laughs) Community is another thing we really celebrate in the book. And I got so much of that because of writing it, which is ironic, like in the pandemic, in, you know, self-isolation or whatever it is we're doing at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Uh, Maybe we could each share a lesson from one of the stories that mm. that resonates with us I know there are there are many yeah there are so many um I think the two that I'm thinking of now um one um oh see and now I'm thinking of like others I know Gosh, it's so everybody's story <laughs> it's like choose your favorite child yeah right i'm like um everybody's <laughs> amazing everybody's amazing um i think okay so the the two um l and beth um l story because it's specifically uh about sex and being made to feel that um the way that he has sex the way that he orgasms or doesn't orgasm is um was a problem. You know, he'd been made to feel very ashamed of his sex drive and how his body worked. And that, I can't tell you like from the years as a sex educator and then the years as a sex therapist, like how often that comes up where people have been made to feel that the very way their body is, um, is a problem. 
and is something to be ashamed of or that renders them um, unlovable. And so I really so appreciate how um, he found his way of like, this is my body, there is nothing wrong with it. And being able to simply share with partners, this is how I work. And then having partners who say, great, let's flow with it. And then Beth's story um, coming from uh, indigenous culture um, uh, and DNA Navajo culture and how critical legacy is. Um, as a black woman, it's critical to me that I know my history. That's something, thank goodness, my parents were incredibly um, focused on of you will know the glory of being black and that um, all the stories, all the different people and how that's been an anchor as I've navigated um, some very interesting circumstances. <laughs> and so it, it cannot be overstated. So best story is like, um, it's like a cousin story to me of like, I recognize like when you have um, that sense of legacy and lineage, mm. what a support that can be. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's really powerful. Yeah. Uh, several that stood out to me personally, one is Jazz's story. Mm -hmm. And one thing that resonated with me and I learned so much from was they talked about not only ancestors, but nature mm -hmm. and the spirituality that we can experience through being surrounded by trees, for example, mm -hmm. and having grown up with some, some religious influences that were positive and some that were incredibly abusive and, and toxic. Um, I, like so many people have really struggled with spirituality or, you know, mm -hmm. God and all these different terms that we use and how do we remain spiritual while giving away those kinds of traditions. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and after jazz shared, actually, after the conversation with jazz, I went outside and sat against a tree. And oh. so now, and I've, I haven't told anybody this, um, now when I pray, which is sort of just me, I don't know. I don't know what I call it. It's not like a conventional prayer, but I just like to, mm -hmm. I, I just call it prayer. I picture this giant tree covered in sparkly lights. And that to me is God. And I love it. I'm carrying that with me. Yeah. I love it. And then Robert and Hannah really oh. struck me because they both went through sexual trauma very young and their love and commitment to themselves and then to each other, knowing mm. when it was time, because I really, really loathe this idea that we cannot be loved until we perfectly love ourselves and we're all together. Right. So common that's out there. Mm. Yeah. And they knew when it was too early, you know, mm -hmm. they needed to support themselves and get their own immediate needs met. They knew when it was time to, to join paths as two individuals who were still growing and learning. Mm -hmm. And, and they talked a lot about raising children, raising girls who mm -hmm. they want to, they want to do right by them. And they right. have been triggered by being parents and right. oh, just the vulnerability and the, the love and the ongoing commitment they're actually so you know i interviewed you for my podcast recently and then i interviewed several of the folks in, who, who appear in the book and mm -hmm. robert and hannah uh spoke about their pleasure practice how oh. they get together and they will do crosswords together or they will play a game 
that is their foreplay quote unquote foreplay. Yeah. Because they have found that if they have fun and they can relax their bodies, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just the creativity is something that stands out to me in every story. Right. The creativity, the playfulness, I think as grownups, we've kind of said play only belongs in very specific circumstances. And really that kind of child mind of we can always play creativity is always accessible. Um, but I, yes, like their story of um, the conversations they would have with their girls, the conversations they would have with each other of, no, we still have our stuff, like our, our trauma is still there. And yet we can, we have tools, self-regulation tools, communication tools um, that allow us to build together. Um, and it, yeah. I, I feel like we just, we do this each time. We're like everybody's story because I'm now I'm thinking of other people's stories. Just, yeah, it's not just cause I'm the author. Like people read the stories just. Yeah. Even if you ignore all of our words, right. just go in there and read the stories, Right. read their right. words and read right. what they went through and also how they have they discovered. Oh, discovered. Yes. Their discovery is is really beautiful in mm. finding out how they got to this place and everyone's in a different point in their journey. You know, there's right. Wolf, for example, is not at the same place as Robert and Hannah. Like everyone has a different experience based on the resources they have, the mm-hmm. support they have access to, mm-hmm. um, how recent or current the, the traumas are. Right. So, yeah. Right. Cause sometimes a, a trauma can be in the past, but the way that it's impacting us can be quite acute in the present. Um, and so there's all these different factors that, um, make a difference. I also, cause I, again, I can be very, um, I am opinionated and judgmental. I am. I lean into that. So I love, I love our chapter on taking to task self-help gurus mm-hmm. and the self-help industry. Um, and it, that was a, a hard chapter to write because it, writing about Kirby's life and, and her passing was incredibly painful and challenging. And um, it was great because I am so angry and I trust my anger now in a way that I didn't growing up. And so I want people to be angry about um, and use that anger to be critical, like and in the true sense of the term, critical thinking about um, who are self-help quote unquote experts, um, that people can absolutely have an expertise and that's important, but these are not, they are people among people. Uh, and it's important to be able to recognize um, people who are seeking to simply exploit or they're trying to help, but they actually don't have good tools um, versus people who are like, I wanna facilitate your growth and my growth as we develop. Yeah. Huge difference. Huge, huge difference. Yeah. And um, speaking with Kirby's mother and sister was very illuminating. And I love what they are doing with, it's called Seek Safely. They have an organization educating folks on the dangers of problematic self-help. They aren't Mm -hmm. saying don't help yourself. Helping yourself is good. Uh, But it's important to, to know these things because you know, I'm, I'm also very grateful for that section. And if I recall, right, is that one that you were walking around orating your, there were, I think, yeah, that one was definitely one that I, um, like I had to speak as I was, so it was literally recorded, um, 
because I was just so agitated and, and angry and sad, haunted. Um, there were so many feelings swirling around that I, I had to speak it out um, in order to get it down. Like for me at that point, writing it was, it was not going to keep up with everything I was feeling. Yeah. Um, That's one of my favorites of your sections. So for anyone who's not familiar, each section, you know, each chapter has a couple of stories, true stories. It has context and exercises and information that's educational and some resources. And then Jamila, you reflected on them and you would mm -hmm. respond, which I also love as something that the folks who are featured, it's a gift to them. That's how I see it. I think it's so lovely that oh. other folks can learn from it, but what a beautiful thing to several folks told me that they were so touched by, cause they got to preview their chapter how touched they were by your, your words. And yeah. So thank you for that. That, yeah. Wow. I, I hadn't really thought about that. I don't, my, my main concern was that the, um, that all the participants felt like their, their story was being heard and respected, but I, I didn't even think about the, and this is the thing, sometimes being a therapist, like we're, I, I know for me, at least I can be so concerned about the, I don't want them upset or feeling harmed or unheard that I don't um, always account for myself and how, um, I don't know how something can feel when it, how it's landed with somebody. And so to, to hear if people felt not just, oh, you got it, but actually like seen and touched like that's. Yeah. One person thanks. told me that they had tears in a very good way reading wow. what you what you shared. Yeah. Yeah. What a journey. It's something else and trying to, and doing this again, you know, we, at the time we're like, Oh, maybe the pandemic will be over or we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Little did we know. Oh my gosh. Well, we're all really glad that you were able to, <laughs> to get together and do this during such a time. Um, and, and we get to benefit from your collaboration, but also it sounds like you two found something in each other and in the work um, that was really meaningful to you and a beer that was just hell for everybody. So thank you so much <laughs> for this book. And thank you so much for sharing your insights today on the podcast. So one way to end the show that I thought might be kind of nice is if you would guide us through, there's some really wonderful grounding exercises in between each of these chapters. Um, and I was wondering if you would do us the honor of leading us through one of the grounding exercises, um, and then maybe also leading readers with one of the writing prompts that you provide in the book too. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm paging through here because they're highlighted in these text boxes. Here's one. This is from the chapter called, should I forgive if so, how? And the grounding exercises, and the grounding exercise is this. Picture the face or imagine the voice of someone you love. Imagine taking in all the encouragement and support you see in their eyes or hear in their words. Create a mental image of it. Is it a sound, a glow, a color, an object? Imagine really bringing this image closer to yourself. And this uh, journaling prompt is from the chapter called, How Can I Stop This? In what ways can you actively care for yourself today or on a daily basis? 
What simple tools or practices can you keep in mind for caring for yourself whenever you feel activated? That was wonderful. Well, thank you so much, August and Jamila, for being here today. Once again, our guests today were August McLaughlin and Jamila Dawson discussing with pleasure managing trauma triggers for more vibrant sex and relationships. You can order your copy at skylightbooks.com. Thank you for listening and thanks for being here. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for having us. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.